Welcome back to Digital Health Unplugged, the podcast in which we take a look at what is making headlines in the world of NHS IT. I'm your host, Andrea Downey, and I'm senior reporter here at Digital Health. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Digital Health Unplugged, the healthcare IT podcast bringing you all you need to know. As always, I'm your host, Andrea Downey, and today we are catching up with the Shuri Network. Here's a little bit of background on the network for those of you who don't already know. The Shuri Network is the first network for Black, Asian and minority ethnic women in digital health roles. It was launched at Digital Health Summer Schools in 2019 and has just celebrated its second birthday. Since its launch, the network and its members have achieved so much, but I'm not going to go into too much detail just yet because I've got far better people on the podcast to do that for me. But here's a few little facts and figures for you. It's grown to a membership of more than 1,200 people. They've set up a shadowing program for their members to learn from those who are experienced in the field of digital health and hopefully encourage more to join the sector. And they're working with the Faculty of Clinical Informatics to provide bursaries for their members to join the organisation. They have done so much good work to promote diversity and also call on leaders to do better within their own organisations. Anyone who has listened to the podcast before knows that I am a huge fan of the Shuri Network, so I'm very excited to welcome to this episode Nicole Wong, Junior Technical Analyst of Cyber at NHS South Central and West, Di Bullman, Workstream Lead on the Digital Readiness Programme at Health Education England, and Rafia Patel, Chief Digital Ethics and Privacy Officer at Surrey Borders Partnership NHS Foundation Trust. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I am so pleased you could all join me. How are you all doing? Thanks, Andrea. Yes, we're doing fine. Well, I'm doing fine here up in Leeds. Um, nice and warm. How about you, Nicola and Raffia? Doing great as well. Thank you, down in Bristol. Yeah, I'm doing good as well. Um, just moved. Um, so busy, but good busy and in the south. <laughs> I, that's the best part about recording remotely is I forget that we're all in really mm-hmm. separate areas. Um, it's nice that it's sunny up in Leeds because it is... Um, I mean, there's a patch of blue sky where I am in London, but it's not it's, it's not what I would call summer, per se. <laughs> but I don't think we've had much of that this year, really, have we? <laughs> um, no. But let's, let's talk about the network, because I think there's loads to get through, and you, there's been so much going on that's really great that I'd really like to get to. Um, so firstly, could you all um, start off by telling us how you came to be involved with the network and also the work that you're currently doing. Um, Rafia, I know that you're working on a PhD, so I'm going to throw that over to you because I've heard I've heard you speak about your PhD before, and it's so interesting. <laughs> uh, thank you. It's it's trying to explain it in a concise way and and the, the, the beautiful journey to Shuri Network. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm a speech and language therapist, so I support individuals with language and learning needs. And um, over time, I've, I've become increasingly interested in the role of digital, um, very much thinking about co-design. So um, asking asking the individuals who are using the service what kind of service works for them. Um, and that led me to uh, apply for a, um, a grant, a fellowship with NHS, and they are funding my PhD, which is exploring um using digital co-design to develop therapy tools. Um, As part of that fellowship, the expectation is to develop as a clinical lead in the field. And so I was very much looking at opportunities where I could do that. And um, being a non-medic, I suppose, um, I I didn't have many peers working in digital, um, especially at the time, so this was 2018, 
Um, and I literally sat and Googled <laughs> and looked at what was out there. There wasn't that much kind of within my network of, of a speech and language therapist, within the speech and language therapy profession, um, within my trust. So um, I am affiliated with St. George's Trust in Southwest London. And at the time, digital was quite niche. Um, and I found out about the Digital Pioneer Fellowship, um, which um, is a opportunity for um anyone involved in the NHS, uh, at the time specifically London, but as any role within the NHS, so there's not a hierarchy. If you're doing a project within digital, you have the opportunity to access this um, fellowship, which is very much around networking and training and just developing you as, as somebody working in digital within the NHS. And Yinka Makinda, who was the programme um, lead at the time, uh, absolutely fantastic role model. Um, and she really um, provided us with opportunities to grow and to network and to overlap with others in similar fields. And she introduced me to Shira Cho. And I met Shira, well, I say I met Shira, she came to visit me, she came to meet me at City University. And that, that to me is a character of a person where, again, no hierarchies, she gave up her time to come and see me in the middle of the day. And it was just after the digital summer school. So she talked to me about this amazing um, group of women that had come together that hadn't really met in person before and, and had decided together to, to kind of do something about the lack of um, representation and how they had talked about it at digital summer school and how it had just taken over. Uh, like the, the reception had been amazing. They'd, they'd been able to talk about this. They'd posted it on Twitter and there was just such energy and I just really, really wanted to be involved and that's that's how I started. And I think I think Di will agree that at the time we didn't really know the shape of what it would take. It was about there's, there's, there's a need for this and let's try something. And it was it was very tiny to start with and it's just built and built. Um, so I'll, I'll stop there. But <laughs> I'm a storyteller, but that, that that's how I got into it. So it was very much about relationships and people reaching out to me and giving me kind of a spotlight. And to me, that's what Shuri Network represents. Um, mm. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the best things about the network, isn't it? Is that I, I like everyone I've ever met who's worked in it, and Shira is great. Um, it's it is just about building those relationships. And like, I was at the launch um, at Digital Health Summer Schools, um, and it was it was really hard to explain what it felt like in the room. But it was so quiet, but so alive at the same time. It was great. Um, Di, I'm sure you'll probably agree with me on that one. Oh yes, it was it was absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Um, I think when we were planning summer school, when we first were talking about it, we we asked Digital Health and we thought we would get a little workshop off, you know, somewhere on the sort of side halfway <laughs> through the afternoon or something like that. Um, and then when you agreed to have us on the main stage as sort of, I think it was second on or something like that. Yeah. Um, and the, the whole panel was just a whole panel for women of colour. I think we had about six people on there and, and all standing up to that in that massive auditorium. Um, mm. It was just fantastic and such a lot of love and enthusiasm and energy going on. Um, yeah, I think it was, as Rafia says, it, we weren't quite sure what we were wanting to do. We just knew we needed to do something. Um, for me, it came from sort of my one of my managers, James Freed, met Shira at a conference and Shira was sort of telling him how she was sort of looking around the room at these senior digital leaders and she wasn't seeing anybody that looked like her. And she, you know, that was when we sort of knew well, we need to do something about this because people are just not being able to sort of 
get there to those leadership levels. And if we don't have a, a diverse leadership, you know, we're not going to be representing the people we're looking after. We're not going to be making the best for, you know, health and care. So, yeah. So there was, and, and Shira is wonderful and she's just got such a lot of energy and, um, yes, she came, she came to, I met her in London. I remember the first time, um, you know, in the, the um, Department of Health and Social Care and we'd all travelled down there and sort of sat there saying, well, what should we do then? I don't know. Well, we could do this and we could do that. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's been fantastic. Yeah, it's been a fun journey. Um, and Nicole, um, how have you become involved in the network? Yeah, so shortly after joining the NHS, the pandemic hit. So I was looking for different networks to join. And um, I follow some inspirational BAME women in digital leadership roles on Twitter. And I noticed that they all had the Shuri network in common. So I thought, you know, wow, better get involved soon to be able to meet these people uh, who may have similar experiences to me and career journeys. And so we can uh, learn and support from each other. Yeah. So, wow, your whole experience of the NHS so far as well has been pandemic experience. It's been fully remote. Yeah, but it's wow. it's been great because, you know, we can do remote things like this right now when we're based, yeah. you know, across the country. So, yeah, working out quite yeah. well. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it might. it's probably going to be weirder to actually go in to meet people, I guess, next. I, we've only just started going back into an office and actually getting up and going out for the day. It's a very weird experience all of a sudden. Um, but yeah, let's let's not go, go off topic. I, tell, I don't want to do that because there's loads to talk about. Um, I did mention a few of the things that's happened in the last year with the Shuri Network um, because it's. I think it's actually been about a year since we've had anyone from the network on the podcast to give us an update. Um, so can we just expand on those a little bit? What's been new in the last 12 months? Um, what are you currently working on in the network at the moment? Who wants to start? <laughs> so much to, to talk about. Um, well, obviously, we've got the shadowing scheme, which um, I think we're going to talk about in a little bit more detail. And perhaps Nicole can talk about her experiences. Mm. Um, so that's that's where we've worked with a, a group called HexiTime, who have a free time sharing platform that they they supply for the NHS. You can go on there and um, offer some time to support somebody else and then other people can go on and, you know, bank that time, use that time. Um, and that's really just for people getting together and talking to each other, networking, all those things we've sort of talked about how important it is to, you know, just make contact with other people. And it gives people the opportunity to talk to people they would probably never talk to. So we had some really quite senior leaders in, in the NHS offering to host and people have taken up those offers. So they've been able to shadow sort of quite senior digital leaders, which is, you know, it's a fantastic opportunity. And I think the, as you, we said, the pandemic's made it much easier as well, hasn't it? Because you don't have to go off and you don't have to be in London to go and meet somebody. You can bob into, you know, half an hour's meeting or things like that very easily. So, yeah, the shadowing scheme has been an amazing one. Um, Rafi, do you want to talk about? Yeah, so um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the midst of it at the moment, um, we launched last year. Uh, was it last year or the year before? Last, <laughs> last year, bursary. I think but it was last year. More bursaries this year as well. We launched um, a bursary scheme. So we partnered with the Faculty of Clinical Informatics and um, it's, it's quite nice. I think the, the faculty is in its relevance 
relative infancy as 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 was Shuri Network at the time. So it was it was very much about kind of pulling together resources, but also this idea of of really prioritizing um an inclusive, diverse uh, approach um from the offset. And I think the FCI had done some work around the membership um and actually Inca looking the lead on that and um it, it, it showed that there wasn't as much representation as was needed. It didn't really reflect either the workforce or the NHS in general. And so um, one of their remits was to uh, improve on that area. And so um, the outcome of that was a, a partnership with the Shuri Network. And we um, decided, we looked at different options, and we decided to provide um, a bursary to uh, uh, women of colour um, who were considering applying or, or reach out and use this as an opportunity to encourage women of colour who may not have heard of this FCI um, to, to consider it and to, to really uh, say this is something that would be of value to you, but the FCI will value for get value from it as well um so it wasn't just about um the bursary which was an important factor we didn't want that to be a hindrance to to a woman of color kind of considering to apply but it was what came with it so it was this um it just really spotlighting the fact that um that that you bring value you know and oh my word did they would bring value so we started off i think it was 15 um applications we were going to fund and Honestly, the, the, the caliber of applicants was phenomenal. The range, the kind of, the, the years of experience, the level of experience, and just the different areas of, uh, that people were working in, um, from very much clinical to more of the informatician side. This is me as a clinician trying to explain non-clinical NHS. <laughs> but I just sat there and I was like, wow, what a wonderful, interesting range of, of women doing such amazing work. And so we actually increased it to 20. And um, it, it was this case of um, then kind of carrying on that work and, and saying, um, this is a network now of women who can come together and then giving them opportunities. So um, those women have had opportunities. So, um, just one example is um, I, as part of my PhD, I'm linked with the Alan Turing Institute. So there was an opportunity for four of us to talk at uh, one of their events. And that's something that's quite a tangent in terms of day to day work. So it was that opportunity to kind of maybe appeal to or reach out to a different audience. Um, I know um, Shira personally has given opportunity to mentoring. Um, there are people within this kind of scheme and the fellows we call them now um, who are coaching others so it's this thing of we gave them the opportunity and then we it was really about this is the opportunity now you take it and run with it and then give back so give that opportunity now to others so we're now at the process of um launching um the bursary the second time around we're hoping um to fund 20 um places uh for kind of the standard or associate membership and then 10 students because that's and I'm sure we'll go on to this in the conversation but supporting students and ensuring that that experience going from being a student to going into the NHS is a really positive one and hopefully this is one example um so yeah anything that can be done by a digital health to promote uh, <laughs> would be really appreciated it runs Absolutely. through September um, yeah. so yeah and I'll stop again now <laughs> <laughs> it's very exciting you've been able to increase the number that's offered as well because it just shows the like the growth that the network is having and also I think it really reflects the fact that it's needed there is such a demand for it um so that's excellent um but but Di, you were right. I did want to circle back to the shadowing program and talk a bit more about that because, Nicole, I know that you are actually um, shadowing someone. I think it's Aisha Rahim, isn't it, who is part of our CCIO network at Digital Health. Um, 
But something that really struck me, um, which was said at summer schools this year, was that it's an opportunity for people to get involved and give back in the sector that they're working in. Um, And I think that's really important because I think it's really easy to kind of pass the buck and say, oh, well, that's that's really hard. I don't really know how to fix that. I'm going to leave that to other people. But this is a way for just like an individual to get involved and help others who want to work in the industry. So Nicole, I really wanted to ask you how the shadowing program has gone for you and sort of how that's benefited you in your career in the NHS so far. Yeah, so it's it's been great. I only have positive things to say about it. Um, it's been really well structured. So when I started, uh, we started with an introductory call to um, get to know the person you're shadowing and um, your areas of work and jointly put together a plan for what the shadowing would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, In my experience, my program was structured more around work than days. So whenever a relevant opportunity came up, um, I would get involved and my program actually ended up spanning about three months. So there's a lot of flexibility with how you can do it. Um, What's really benefited me was the opportunity to get involved in discussions with digital transformation projects uh, with clinical teams to gain a real appreciation of the impact of rolling out digital transformation to clinicians and patients. Um, what considerations and processes digital teams need to make to ensure a successful implementation and um, how data can be used within a clinical setting to improve outcomes. Um, As an aspiring future digital leader myself, I was able to observe um, senior digital leaders, how they made strategic decisions, their leadership styles, and I've already started using this experience to start changing the way um, I approach problems and projects in my current role. And um, Aisha has been great introducing me to different members of her directorate, helping me build my network and giving me a platform to speak to um, different people trying to solve similar challenges to mine, but from different organizations so we could share good learning points. Yeah. I mean, this question's slightly off topic, but I've just thought of it hearing, you know, you, from what you've learned. Is there anything that you, that sort of working in the NHS in digital that took you aback or you didn't think would work like that, that you have sort of, that's changed your mind I'm not wording this very well but I'm just I'm trying to ask if there's something that you thought would work a certain way in the NHS that you've now learned doesn't and it's sort of changed your way of thinking around digital um definitely I think um working in cybersecurity as a very technical person it's quite easy to you know just see the tech um mm-hmm. and just see um what you have to do to implement the tech without actually under um, appreciating the impact that it has on people working in the front line So um, this is what makes working in digital in the NHS unique as um, a lot of it's it's not always that straightforward when you're rolling out digital transformations. So being able to shadow Aisha and understand, you know, um, how difficult it actually is to roll out um, digital transformation, implement new systems um, that, yeah, that I think that is what makes working in digital in the NHS unique. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's something we say a lot at Digital Health because um, it's yeah, we're, we're all about tech here, obviously. But it's, the NHS is so complex and so unique that it's just it, nothing ever goes the way you think it's going to go. <laughs> but, Absolutely. Um, <laughs> um, so let's um, I, I think we're kind of going to circle back a bit here, but I'm going to talk about some diversity figures in the NHS, uh, particularly in leadership and board level positions, because as we've sort of touched on, it's not great. Um, and one of the main reasons that Shira and Sarah started the Shuri Network was because there wasn't anyone else that looked like them in the room. 
Um, so NHS Digital has just committed actually to increasing diversity levels across all of the organisation by 2025. And they've put in some fairly ambitious figures. Uh, they're aiming for about 19% of their 3,500 staff uh, to be from a BAME background within the next four years. And they've also, they've put in ambitions for 14% of its staff to be disabled and 50% to be female by 2025. Um, but what struck me the most when they sent out that press release was that according to their figures, around one in five NHS employees are uh, from a black, Asian or minority ethnic group, which is not very large, um, really, when you think about the UK population. So I really wanted to talk about how we increase that. How do we how do we achieve what NHS Digital is setting out to achieve to start with? And also in general across the NHS and particularly in leadership and board level roles, how do we do it? I know that's a big question. <laughs> and I'm sure if someone had the answer, we'd we'd have done it by now. But I'm sure there's some steps that we can take. Yes, you're right. I mean, if there was just one answer, we could just one sentence and we'll just do it like that. And everything will sort be sorted. <laughs> I mean, Obviously, I'd ask the other two for their opinions as well, but I think we've got to to look at a whole range of different things. I mean, I think it's not just one thing that's mm-hmm. that's causing this. So, you know, people certainly sort of early career people, students, they need to see that there's a career. Um, they need to see role models. They need to see where they can go. They need to be able to, you know, imagine themselves there in that leadership role. And I think that's one of the most important things. So the more people we can help support get to those roles and then the more that those people can can reach down and help, you know, lift other people up. I think that's going to be a massive help. And I think you can do that in an organisation like NHS Digital by, you know, really shining spotlight, allowing people to, to blossom, but, but showing that they're there, allowing them to talk and doing things like podcasts or you know, things within your organisation, sort of webinars, talks, just writing blogs and things like that can be very inspiring, I think, for people. That's, that's. I mean, I think there's so many different things that we need to do, but that's one of my sort of things. But I'll hand over to the other two, see what ideas they have. Um, so I, I've been reflecting on this a fair bit. And, and um, I, 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 for me, it's my, my personal professional um, story is, is is it shows how the Shuri network can help achieve this, but also how it can act as a model for um, with individual trusts or you know a national organisation like NHS Digital to learn from that model. And I I have um, you know in NHS banding is such a big thing, and actually I've managed to go into a leadership role um, bypassing. A big chunk of banding, <laughs> so, and it, it is such a, a limiting um, factor in so many ways. At times, it does serve a purpose, but it's. And I think what the Shuri Network did for me was raise my ceiling for myself, my expectation of what I should be aspiring for, and not look at banding, but look at leadership roles that are of interest to me. And so that was one thing. It was this these conversations through the mentoring, through the informal, but also through the modelling. So being around. Um, what, what were uh, now more aligned to peers but at the time people that I wanted to be amongst and that, that were role models but being around them and having these open frank encouraging conversations and also learning from them to see how they were doing it um and then as I said the spotlighting so um so I I 
my, my role as so it's the chief digital ethics and privacy officer, that role wouldn't have come about if I had to take that opportunity to speak at Rewired. Um, uh, and I think, again, <laughs> last could it be last year? Was it possibly the start of last year, which is ridiculous? It but, was, um, yeah. <laughs> and um, Doug Stewart, who works at Serene and um, Board of Partnerships, and he's one of he's the CCIO there. And at the time, I wouldn't have been able to tell you what CCIO was. And he was there in the audience, and he heard me speak. And when I then um, looked at this role that came out, and I was interested in it, it, it just gave a bit of background to who I was, <laughs> you know. And that would never have happened in any other context without that spotlighting. So it's it's this fact of give all the opportunities, share those opportunities, because you never know which of those opportunities will learn to turn into something tangible. And and so it's this thing of every person's journey will be different. But if there's a, a kind of a, a host of opportunities there, so there's different things that people can tap into. Um, and also it's this thing about, it's not just about being in a leadership position, it's what kind of role is suited to a person. And for me, being in a position where I'm able to um, support digital to be done in, uh, you know, how do you define ethics and, and privacy, but in the right way. And that is actually an area of interest for me. I am doing a PhD in that area. I work with individuals with learning disabilities and working now in the Mental Health Learning Disability Trust. So I've had the fortune of being able to seek a role which it, it, it ties in with my professional, personal motivations as well. And, and that all has all come together because of what Shuri Network is doing in terms of giving that opportunity. And I think somewhere, something like Hensha's Digital just looking at that looking at the different ways and and trying to use that as a template of good practice and you know you can't do everything at, at one time but I, I did do a secondment at NHSX at the start of the year and there were really really good pockets of good practice and really pleased with the pockets I saw I think it's making that sustainable and across the board and across natural bodies um so yeah so similar to what Dara said but maybe seeing it from a slightly different lens from where I am at the moment yeah Nicole, I can also see that you're nodding away. <laughs> Did you have something to add to that one? <laughs> yeah, just echoing what um, was previously said, I think um, a lot of senior leaders, whether they're part of the Shuri network or not, you know, need to recognize that diversity is a challenge that we experience in the NHS and at the top of the NHS as well. And it's just so fundamental to have that diversity to be able to properly support the populations that we are um, delivering care for. So it's not just a sharing network, but all leaders should be, you know, um, giving everyone um, opportunities to get involved and um, opportunities to think about um, being senior leaders in the future and supporting them. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? It's, it's everyone's problem. It's not just something that you can leave to one organization to sort out. And I think that's what's so great about the shadowing program is, you know, one person can say, well, actually, I want to you know, I want to do that and I want to help someone. So I will let them, I'll be, a, is it a fellow? We call them fellows and shadows. Is that, is that what you call them? Shadow, shadowers, shadowers, shadowies. Someone can, yeah. you know, someone can put their hand up and say, I would like someone to shadow me. And that's such an important thing that you can do. And it's not, it doesn't take a lot. It like all of those little things really do add up, um, which I think which I've always already mentioned was mentioned at summer schools, but that has really stuck with me um, since we had that conversation. So I want that to stick with everyone who's listening to the podcast, <laughs> um, which also kind of does lead me on to ask what potentially might be a trickier question. Um, sorry. Um, obviously, NHS Digital has taken some steps and that's a great thing, but are we seeing enough from national organisations 
on increasing diversity and you know, dealing with this. Um, what do we need to see from NHS England and NHSX and, you know, the other organisations? In my, my organisation, Health Education England, um, there is a lot going on internally in the organisation. We have a, a strong leader now um, who puts it very much on, on her agenda, Navina. Um, you know, and there's a lot of work in the organisation. There's a lot of, uh, it feels, and, and I'm not a woman of colour, so I, you know, it's difficult for me to say, but it feels like there are a lot of safe spaces in the organisation to talk about things. Um, certainly, you know, in, in terms of as, as a woman, we've we've got various different networks. We've got a women's network. We've also got things like um, menopause or um, maternity sort of groups. So we can talk about all sorts of things in there. But I, I do think that, for me that you know there's definitely something about having a very strong leader who who states that this is the agenda as they've done in nhs digital and they've done in health education england um i'm not quite so familiar with with working in the other organizations so it's it's a bit more difficult to say but yeah i think it needs to it needs to come from from all levels in the organization but particularly the leaders in the organization have got to state very clearly that this is their aim and that they want to create this this space for people yeah is it is how is it where you're the other two where you're working sorry the other two that means I'm really mean <laughs> no, no, Raphia and Nicole <laughs> um so I was I was just thinking about that going from it was quite an interesting journey going from a trust to a national organization and then going um to a trust again but a trust where the role was specific to digital and inclusion and um diversity and ethics and I think from my perspective, I think it's it's having at a national level, but also at a leadership level, if there's examples of good practice, promote them, really, really promote them, get them out there, normalise them. And um, I think this is one of the strengths of the Surrey and Border um, Partnerships Digital team. Um, as you may have noticed at summer school, <laughs> we're very good at sharing our learning and having open conversations and trying to show others what we're getting right, what we're not, what we're working on. And I think that that is really encouraged um, by uh, Toby Avery, who's um, I know, my line manager, but also the CIO. And he, he, his, his approach is um, we are all constantly reflecting and reviewing where our strengths are, but also where we might need a lot more work. And how can we improve that? Let's reach out to others. Let's be open and honest of what we're trying to do. And I think that that then... If you're a role model, then it's about showing that to others and sometimes acknowledging that you are a role model and you have that opportunity to share with others. And and so really being as open and honest and transparent as you can, which takes a lot. You know, you're making yourself vulnerable then and and open to kind of feedback and criticism and, and, and being open to that, which isn't easy. But I think it's so, so important that if, if you're trying something, learn from it, share that, whether it's a blog or whether it's, it's speaking at national events, but share share the hard bits as well. <laughs> um, that's what I learned in my journey. I kept seeing these amazing people in these amazing roles and, and not understanding how they managed to get there and what were the obstacles. And I think there's been a, a there's a there's an increasing culture shift of people sharing their difficulties as well and the barriers. And I think that helps. And I, I don't think that matters what background you're from I think everyone has a different journey and I think the power is in that open conversation um, but getting to the stage where you feel that's comfortable you know that's different for everyone so yeah, it's difficult yeah. Yeah. sharing modeling and learning I suppose um, yeah 
I think it's important to know that there are always obstacles and barriers and like there's always a difficult part in every journey and I think mm-hmm. sharing that with others mm-hmm. you know saying well, this is how I dealt with it that's helpful that's helpful to the next person that finds the same obstacle yeah. um so do you think that this needs to form a bigger part of the national agenda when it comes to not just digital um obviously focusing a bit more on digital because otherwise that's not me doing my job um but just in general in the NHS is this taking a big is this taking enough of the national agenda I know that's a really hard question as well (laughs) I'm really throwing them out there today aren't I Carl maybe no pressure (laughs) (laughs) new to the NHS That's because I've talked quite a bit. So. <laughs> no, well, that's actually interesting because you are new to the NHS, Nicole. Mm-hmm. So, how do you, like in your experience, do you think this is forming an, a bigger part of as a bigger part of the agenda as it should? Um, I, I definitely, from my experience, I think there's been a lot of positive work um, in this area to make it really important, and organisations are starting to realise the importance of diversity and being compassionate leaders and this is included in the people plan as well. Um, so we there there is a lot of work in this area to improve it, but um, I think we're definitely nowhere near the end. We're just starting um, and there's still a long way to go. Yeah. Di and Raffia, did you have anything else to add to that one? <laughs> um, just adding to what Nicole said, there's, when you start addressing uh, an area, actually what happens is you then actually identify how big the area is and how much it needs doing. So you need to plan not just for identifying what the need is, but then actually, okay, this is the need. What can we then do to address that? Oh, that's leading to even more things that hadn't emerged before. People are now feeling more comfortable to talk about things. Okay, there's a bigger need. We've just tapped into only a bit of it. Okay, so this is going to be a long-term thing. We need a culture change this is this is ongoing this isn't a project or you know a moment in time this is something that that's going to take generations to be honest you know and 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 just acknowledging that and 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 seeing it in that way that we need some short-term tangible things and but alongside that we need long-term sustainable plans as well yeah yeah completely agree um I am very conscious of our time um but there is one more thing that I really want to talk about um before we do wrap it up I think we've all individually actually mentioned this at different points in the podcast um but it's about the benefits of increasing diversity because it's like it's not just about creating equal opportunity and representation this actually brings a whole wealth of benefits for the NHS including better health outcomes um for our patients which is at the end of the day what we're all working towards uh, I think we definitely learned a lot of that in the COVID pandemic and there's still a few lessons to be learned from that I think um so I wanted to ask each of you what are the benefits that you know a d- more diverse leadership in the NHS is going to bring um, Di, I'll start with you if that's okay. I think we, we've we've when we when we were starting Shuri, we were looking around for for research and for figures and numbers and you know how how could we prove what we were feeling? You know, this is as you say, it's the right thing to do. Of course, it is. Everybody, you know, should be treated and valued equally, and for you know their talents get to the get to a, a the place that they they deserve to be and and not be discriminated against for for any reasons that they're not you know the normal standard 
I'm going to say middle-aged white man in a suit. <laughs> Pale, stale and male, I think yeah. is the term that we yeah. normally use. <laughs> I mean, we, Sarah um, Shearer and I had a really interesting conversation early on with Roger Klein, who wrote the Snowy White Peaks of the NHS report. Um, and yeah, it, it is obvious. And we've, we've got research to, to show that more diverse leaders or more diverse leadership in, in an organisation does increase its productivity, the way it works. Um, what we couldn't quite do, we did try and track this down, was to try and find links, direct links to improve, improve patient care. That's something we still need to do. But I'm sure that, you know, as, as we look through it, we can find um, that it does improve the way businesses work. I mean, they've, they've certainly done a lot of research working with um, commercial companies, you know, and looked at um, does it improve your bottom line, which it certainly does. But it, it's it's also it's all about making this place where everybody can bring their whole self to work. I know it sounds like a cliche now because we keep saying it, but it it's true. You know, we need to be able to come and um, just be who we are and use all our diverse range of talents and wonderful things that we bring um, to, to the table. Uh, yeah, and I think it's just fairly obvious that if you've got a group of people who are all very similar from the same, have the same viewpoint um, and say yes a lot, they, they're not going to challenge each other. And yeah, that's how you go down the path of um, continuing projects that don't work or, you know, going along, supporting the leads, the boss's idea because nobody dares to say anything different or because nobody has a different opinion. So, yeah, we definitely think it's... Um, is going to be really important. Yeah, definitely. Um, Raphia and Nicole, I'm sure you've got some things to add. <laughs> yeah, um, again, I think if I kind of link it in with my personal professional experience, so um, as a speech and language therapist, as a profession, it's predominantly female and predominantly white. I think it's around 80%. Um, so in terms of diversity in the profession, however, the, in considering the the individuals that we serve, um, just for example, um, children with uh, language and learning needs that um, come from certain vein backgrounds are more at risk, um, not specifically because they come from vein backgrounds, but things like socioeconomic status and opportunities, um, and thinking about supporting to support someone's communication development. Um, what is language? Language is what you use through the day. You use it for meal times, you use it for time for play. If if you don't know the the, the motivations or the, the, the lived experience of that person, how, how are you going to support them in a way that's meaningful? So it does have a direct implication, but it's also um it's it's not necessarily the responsibility of the person who's a clinician who's not from that background to know all of that it's about being open and inquisitive and feeling comfortable because we serve the entirety of the uh, population of the NHS the people from all learning needs all cultural and ethnic backgrounds not no person within the NHS can know what needs to be known about the population we serve but it's more about uh, an approach that is open to diversity and I think if you have a diverse team you have diverse conversations you you might start asking questions or thinking about things that you've not thought about previously you might even practice how to use certain language or how to ask someone about things that are sensitive which you might not have felt comfortable previously because it's not your own experience so I think it's more that I think that then leads to tangible clinical benefits because you're, you're providing a better clinical service you're doing better engagement and you're providing a service that's more fit for purpose or more bespoke because you're more open to 
the possibility of different ways of working. Um, so, which will take time, um, but I think I think that there's definitely that level of benefit there, where it's a culture change, but also really specific, tangible change for the services we provide. Yeah, a lot of what uh, Rafi has just said about. Um, you know, clinical roles is actually quite relevant to cybersecurity roles as well, as um, it's quite well known that there is a massive skills uh, skill shortage in cybersecurity. Um, and typically, yes, it is a technical role, but also there's a lot of problem solving and strategic elements to that role as well. So if we can tap into that diversity and get people from different backgrounds with these transferable skills as well in cybersecurity, um, you know, then we, we don't have a skill shortage anymore and we can improve the way teams think and function. And um, just thinking about um, the benefits of diversity to organizations, um, I think this is really important to have um, diverse diversity in leadership roles as um, during COVID, a lot of um, disparities and different ways of working and different challenges that um, employees are facing was really brought to light. And um, this wasn't really understood before by senior leaders. So having um, you know diversity in these um, top leadership roles can really help understand um, what employees need and how we can better support them at work to bring their best self to work. Yeah. Yeah, and hopefully those lessons are learned. Um, I hope we don't go backwards on that one. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm very conscious of our time now because I could talk about this for hours, but I don't think we've I don't think none of us have the time for that. So I'm going to ask you just to wrap it up by say uh, providing one piece of advice if you could offer one piece of advice to digital leaders on increasing diversity in their field or in their organisation. What would your one piece of advice be? Difficult, isn't it? Um, <laughs> there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think for me just being open open to challenge open to ideas open to listen to people open to try and understand as far as you can other people's experiences in your organization just yeah just just be listening just be open um probably similar to Di and, and kind of I think um you said earlier about compassionate leadership so be compassionate and also Making yourself vulnerable, I think, is an important leadership skill. Um, so be vulnerable, open up to feedback and change, um, and do it with compassion and kindness, um, which for me is, is what the Shearing Network is all about. It's the kindness is just there. And um, yeah, be kind, compassionate and vulnerable. <laughs> yeah, likewise, be open, be compassionate and really be a champion for your staff. Yeah. Excellent advice. Um, and very quickly, how can people get involved in the Shuri Network if they want to? So really easily. Um, anybody can join the network. You can join as a member or as an ally. Um, it costs nothing. It takes you about two, two minutes to fill in the application form on the website. But I just a little bit of advertising. We are just about to launch the next round of the bursary scheme with the, the Faculty of Clinical Informatics. In fact, the applications for the faculty, I think, have just opened last couple of days. Um, and we're just launching um, a nurses coaching scheme, which we're running with in, jointly with NHS England. Um, and that's going to that's going to open in a few days. We've recruited a, quite a number of coaches. Um, and so now we're going to open for applications for, for um, nurses from 
ethnic minority backgrounds to come and get get up to 30 hours of, of coaching. So look on the website. I think that's the main thing. Yeah. And for anyone listening, there will be a link to the website and all the details you need on how to join uh, on our digital health website as well when I publish this podcast. And I'm sure that when the bursaries are launched, we will also be doing a story on that. So there'll be plenty of advertising and links for you. <laughs> I can promise that. Um, but sadly, that is all we have time for. So Nicole, Diane, Raffia, uh, it's been such a good time having you on Digital Health Unplugged. Thank you so much for joining me. And of course, to all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget that Digital Health Unplugged is published fortnightly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and the usual podcast platforms. So please give us a follow on any of those to keep up to date with what we're doing. And if you've got a podcast suggestion, we are really keen to hear from you. You can get in touch on podcast at digitalhealth.net. That's it for this episode. We'll catch you in two weeks time. You've been listening to Digital Health Unplugged. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more episodes or to keep up to date with what Digital Health Unplugged is doing, you can give us a follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast channel. If you want to know more about Digital Health, our news and events, you can head on over to digitalhealth.net.